0: Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. At the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their purpose. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Hello, young business leaders. I'm your host, Evan Yutake, and I'm excited to share this week's episode with you. Today, we get to tune into a bonus podcast from our monthly luncheon featuring Kevin Hearn. Kevin has over 25 years experience of investing in unique business concepts and has extensive experience in strategic planning, franchising, publishing, real estate development, social media data monitoring, optimizing operational efficiency, large-scale franchise economic negotiations, and startup evaluations. Kevin also has been involved in the McDonald's franchise system for over 30 years and currently has the franchise for 10 McDonald's restaurants that employ over 400 people in the Tulsa, Oklahoma area. Let's hear from Kevin and listen to his message to young businesses.
1: Well, I guess I would. I don't want to sit there. Oh, yeah. thanks, thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, as most people, the allergies are kind of tough this time of year, so pardon me if I get a drink every once in a while. Before I get started, though, I want to say thanks for giving me the opportunity to come speak today. But I do want to point out a good friend of mine sitting in the back, uh, Sheriff Vic Regalado, a dear friend. And we need to give these guys—he's got a couple of his members, his team with we'll him—give them a big round of applause for what they do every day. <laughs> if we could go ahead and pop that first slide up, there'd be great. It worked perfectly. <laughs> I think there's a song called anticipation i would sing it for you but you all would leave so while that's coming up there um let me go ahead and just tell you a little bit about myself and this will be on the first slide well oh, get closer oh there i am so that's me obviously and so if you could go ahead and hit that next thing right there so christian businessman husband father entrepreneur job creator counselor coach listener helper problem solver and the one i really have on the front of my desk head excuse eliminator risk taker and hard worker. But the one I like to say all the time to my folks, still a believer in the American dream. And I want you all to think about that because our president just talked about that just a few minutes ago before we walked in here. So if you, had heard, if you heard what he said to his cabinet members for his first cabinet meeting was, I want to make sure the American dream is alive and well for all the citizens in this country. And that started with the election last year. My wife Tammy and I have three children and recently became grandparents about three weeks ago on May 21st. And, you know, I've had the opportunity to be involved in many, many businesses of different types, different industries. As Matt mentioned, been at McDonald's for 30 plus years. Started out uh, that in the beginning, back as a manager trainee in the franchisee program. Spent uh, the last 20 years since January 17, 1997 as a franchisee signing both sides of the paycheck. I've owned 18 restaurants in Northeast Oklahoma and as Matt mentioned recently downsized to 10 so that I could do other things later in life. Over 400 employees so I've had to deal with the impact of Obamacare and the ever-changing tax policy and the immigration laws and the ever-changing labor laws and decided also to get a all involved in a less regulated industry, something called banking, that's a joke, probably nothing more regulated than banking today. I've uh, had the opportunity back in earlier years serve in Air Force and the Navy, earn an engineering degree, and an MBA. But as I look back on my life, my success today was really about the choices that were made along the way. One of the things when you start running for office is it makes you stop and reflect on your past most time in business you don't have time to do a lot of that you rely on your experiences but you spend most of your time looking at what you're going to do the next day and not dwelling on the past because it cannot be changed i will tell you that as believers we know that god blesses us with talents that he expects us to use to glorify his kingdom talents like leading serving teaching and giving as we all know he asks us to use our gifts, but we don't always know if we're doing it to glorify Him. In fact, when I look back over my life and reflect what went on, I'm pretty sure I was only using those talents to serve me. In my earlier years, I learned that it was what it was like to grow up with nothing. We lived on food stamps, no running water, indoor plumbing. We never went to church. We never talked about God in the format that you're gonna talk about God in. My old sister, died with spina bifida. My younger sister, who's eight years younger than me, was born with spina bifida. She has a niece that's got spina bifida. So we knew what hardships were and what it was like to have a family that had hardships. My mother was really uh, tied up. We have, I have four other the brothers and sisters. I'm the only one that ever graduated high school. The only one that went to college, obviously. And so we've seen what's gone on. So from the earliest times of my life, I learned what hard work was. Hauling hay, cutting firewood, working on a farm, working on a sawmill. Making money was my escape because our family didn't have any. My life was to work hard and rely upon myself, the name on the back of the jersey. I didn't think much about the rest of the team, the ones that gave us the opportunity to play. You know, people around me labeled me all the time as that you can never be successful. It's hopeless. You came from a poor family. You lived out there in that place. There's no way you'll ever be able to achieve anything. When I graduated high school, there was a guy. We were living in those times. It's the times in general that way. But there was a guy that became president as I was graduating high school. A guy named Ronald Reagan, and he said that the American dream is alive and well. Something that was kind of surreal to me as we were driving over here this morning, because I heard that when I was 19 years old. It's alive and well, and he said if you. But he said here's the deal. Nobody's gonna give it to you. Nobody's going to give it to you. You have to work hard, take risk, and when you get knocked down, you gotta get back up. And oh, by the way, you have to do that over and over and over. And you have to make a lot of right choices along the way. Little did I know, as a 19-year-old, how important his values would be in lighting my path to my future. I loved to dream. I was a big dreamer, still am. From my early years, I wanted to be an astronaut. I loved math and science. And while in high school, I worked my way through our vocational school and earned a drafting certificate so that I would have a competitive advantage over the graduates that came out of my class. When I was 17 years old, I felt the call to join the Air Force. My dad, who my mother and dad had gotten divorced when he went to Vietnam for the third time in 1968, I felt a call. I'd seen what he had done for this country. I had two uncles that gre- uh, retired from the Air Force and an aunt. And I felt a call to join the Air Force. And I had my mother sign me up so I could go in the Air Force. I was there three weeks. Three weeks. And when I was, from the time I was eight until I was 13, I wore special orthotics that were related to the spina bifida that my mother has in her DNA. And the Air Force found out about this. You know, there were no computers in those days, so technology was a little slow. And they found out about it three weeks in and medically discharged me. Honorable discharge at 17 years old. I came back, lived by myself, and finished high school. My senior high school pitcher has my Air Force crew cut in it, so it'll always be etched in my memory what went on in those days. When I was 20 years old, I'd figured out how, I hadn't started college, I figured out how I could get into the Navy. I felt like I needed to serve this country. I applied and took the test for the Navy Nuclear Power Program, got sub-qualified, scored high enough. I finished boot camp, and when they were doing all the sub-qualification documents, they found out about it again. I had a Bureau of Medicine waiver that told them about what my situation was, so that time it was about four months in the Navy. Medically discharged again, honorable discharge. In fact, the doctor looked at me and said, son, you've tried twice, why don't you go back and do something with the rest of your life? Both times I would signed up for six years. I had, it was my mission in life to be in the military and serve this country. I went back to Arkansas, got an engineering degree, and was very fortunate enough to get an opportunity to um, get an aerospace engineering job with Rockwell International in Georgia. I got accepted into the Georgia Tech Astronautical Engineering Program to work on a PhD program. About two weeks after I was hired, the Space Shuttle Challenger blew up and ended the industry that we knew at that time. It was going gangbusters. Everybody started consolidating, laying off people, and at the end of 1986, early 87, me as a junior engineer was let go. And so, once again, careers had changed, things had changed, got knocked down. But again, you know, as a young person, you don't really know. You just do what you've been doing your entire life when things are hopeless. But I got, had an opportunity between my junior and senior year in college. I met a guy who owned McDonald's restaurants in Little Rock. And he had said, if you ever have any interest in getting in business, this franchising program is a pretty good thing. So I called him up and I said, hey, how about that job? And uh, we filled out the paperwork and I got started. I went from making $40,000 a year in 1986 with all kinds of benefits, school being paid for, to cooking egg with muffins with kids 16 years old, making twenty-five grand a year with no benefits. It was a pretty humbling experience for a guy like me. A guy who was, you know, had done so much in a short period of time with all the struggles that I'd had. Well, as I'd worked a lot of these hours, the only only problem I had, I didn't have $100,000 to get my first restaurant. I was flat broke. In fact, my net worth was probably negative at that time. So I started working about 70, 80 hours a week in the restaurant industry in McDonald's to, to accelerate my plan to get to be a franchisee. And I did things like built houses, flipped houses, built a hog farm for Tyson Foods, had a contract hog farm, wrote software, anything I could do to make the money. My life was about work, work, work. I knew that if I worked hard and disregarded everything else, that I could work my way out of this thing. The problem was, is my wife of nine years and my three-year-old daughter didn't think so much of that. and. I lost everything I had. Five years into that journey, of that 10-year journey, to get my first restaurant, I lost everything because I was all about me. We didn't go to church. Nothing had changed in that realm. was not a Christian. I knew that something, I didn't know what it was, but I knew something had to change in my life. I'd been knocked down too many times, i gotten back up, and this pattern was starting to repeat itself. So I started going to church by myself in Antioch Baptist Church in Conway, Arkansas. And for those of you who go to church, if you don't, you should. That's my only admonition that I'm going to give you today. But if you don't, you should. You will find that the pastor will be only talking to you. I felt like the other 350 or so people in that church were getting chipped, a jip, because I was the guy that should have been, you know, I was getting everything. About four months into that, my dear friend introduced me to a lady that became my wife, Tammy. And I know many of you have met her in this room. And she's about five foot two and a pretty feisty person. And she is a strong Christian, a prayer warrior, a person that God used to get my attention. And she led me to Christ in early 1993 at age 31 years old. So you're never too old to know Christ and what he can do for you. I will tell you, as I mentioned earlier, it's about choices and decisions. It's the greatest decision I ever made in my life, regardless of what happens going forward. My priorities changed from work, 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 to God, family, and work. We got married a year later. We worked hard together. In only five years, we saved the money that I've been trying so desperately to save. We purchased our first restaurant in North Little Rock, Arkansas in 1997, January 17th, a little over 20 years ago. Both of us coming from very, very poor backgrounds had achieved a ton together. Two years later, we sold that restaurant and we moved to Muskogee and we bought two restaurants there. It's probably the most humbling thing since that point in time that ever happened because after we bought those two restaurants, we were a long ways from anybody we knew and we were having to depend on people we didn't know. A year later, we built another restaurant, so we had three. By the middle of 2000. And then about a year later, the world turned upside down, upside down again. McDonald's in 2001, almost, I know most people don't believe that today, but most, in 2001, McDonald's almost collapsed. Financially, it was in the worst spot it had ever been in in the history of its company. And I know this will be shocking to you, but very similar, and I'm going to show you something in a minute, very similar to what we're seeing today in the federal government we were seeing in McDonald's in those days. We had the corporate people blaming the franchisees, and the franchisees blaming the corporate people, and nothing was getting done. Everything was stopping. But that was a problem for the people who wanted to be successful. Many longtime franchisees at that time were selling, getting out, abandoning the ship, saying that it was over, we're gonna get out while we can. But being the guy that I had been and was, saw an opportunity and started buying restaurants and building restaurants. I bought restaurants for pennies on the dollar to the value they were three years earlier. I looked at it as just another chapter in life where people had lost hope and there were opportunities. So within 36 months, we went from three restaurants to 12 and hired a ton of people. I wanted to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And in 2003, I joined our National Leadership Council. It's a membership of about 30 franchisees, that we're going to work to help get this ship righted. Could you bring up that next slide? So just go ahead and, yes, just two right there, stop right there. So if you look at the structure of the federal government, the federal government doesn't exist without us and the states and the states themselves. We have this thing called the Constitution that we're sworn to uphold against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Go ahead, one more time. If you look at McDonald's, ironically, McDonald's cor- Corporation doesn't exist without the franchisees and all the restaurants in the country and around the world. And we have a thing called the franchise document. What McDonald's franchisees learned a long time ago is that they didn't have a representation of their voice because we're all independent small business people. We have no voice in and of ourselves. So unlike the representatives that in the office I'm running for where you actually get paid to do the job, these representatives for McDonald's franchisees is a volunteer job. And you still have to run and meet the standards of your business back home, but it's a way to pay it forward for all the opportunities that this brand is giving us. So there were 30 of us. It actually started about four years before I got, I'd got i gotten on there. It was really more of a, just a leadership group. And I had the opportunity in 2006 to start a group, after being on for a couple years, start a group that was really about... It's called the National Franchising Team. It was about knowing every ounce and every inch of that franchise agreement, making sure that McDonald's wasn't violating that in the franchising to the franchisees and vice versa. They were all respecting the document that kept us together. And so I did that for eight years, traveling the country. And in five years, the the past five years, served as the chief financial officer for all the McDonald's franchisees in the United States. So multi-billion dollar deals, everything that happened in McDonald's for the last five years came through my group that I led with seven other franchisees. My counterpart was the CFO of McDonald's Corporation and we spent a ton of time working together to move the brand forward and when I resigned on 12 16 to do this gig I'm doing now we had the franchisees saw the most profitable year in the history of McDonald's last year in, in 2016 and so again you didn't get to do that by being a nice person. It was about pointing out, making sure that every individual knew their responsibilities both on the corporate side and on the franchisee side, and not being afraid to point that out either way. When you look at what's gone on, um, how a person can do that and travel so much, it's because of the great employees that I have, I have really great employees. I have a supervisor been working at McDonald's longer than I have. supervisor's been with me for 20 years. People that have really tirelessly worked, and you don't get those. For those of you who have employees, whether you have employees or you are an employee, you know how important it is to have a strong relationship with your people. So again, it's, it's one of those things where it's really important, and if you're going to stay viable in McDonald's, you have to do this. We stayed in the top 10% operationally in the country for those number of years. But it's also a time when Tammy and I trusted in God and the people of our community, and I have countless examples. And I have a funny that you know Rick uh, was talking about when he got involved in in the uh, young businessman of Tulsa. And I'll, I'll give, give you this one. Much like when something was starting up, so there was a pretty significant community leader in Muskogee. Came my wife and I. We've been there about two years, and he didn't know anything about the McDonald's struggle. And he came to us and he said, "I have this great." thing that I want to put together and I need to raise some money. And he said, I want to put together a place where kids that are abused, families that have drug problems or other problems, these kids can go to a safe place, a place where they're loved until the court date comes. And I want to do this. I said, sure. I'm thinking he probably needs a thousand bucks. No problem. You may sound like, sounds familiar, right, Ricky? I need a thousand bucks. I thought, well, we got this. Then he said, I said, How much you need? Sounded pretty confident. He says, I need $100,000. And I must have, I, I wish I'd had a picture of my face whenever he said that to me, because I'd, I'd sucked myself so far into this thing, there was no way of getting out. So I went back and told my wife, I said, You know, I've got a problem. This guy's a prominent leader in town. He has no idea what's going on in the McDonald's world, and I've just sold the farm to commit to him to help him out in this. We prayed about it. We gave the 100,000 dollars, and that organization is still alive and well today in Muskogee doing what it did. So I will tell you, God is good. There's, there's a million verses in the Bible that talk about what you should do. But Luke 12:48 says to you, "Too much is given, much is expected. And who is given more, even more is expected." And we've been very blessed. I will tell you this. Muskogee has been the greatest place. I know Muskogee is a rough beat, but it's been the greatest place in the world for us to learn how to, you know, to give to a community, give to people, and help us to learn how to, to receive that. McDonald's touches so many lives in our communities. Uh, customers, employers, suppliers, and charities. We are small businessmen and women who have all worked our way up the same way. Regardless of how you get into this, who you are in this business, whether you're a son or a daughter or spouse of a franchisee, you all have to go through the same training. Nobody gets the keys. But you know, I think with that, it also makes you respect the process and respect who you are, and respect the people around you and that nothing is free. You have real skin in the game. But I'll tell you, it's been worth it. I've learned so much that I was never taught when I got my MBA. I want to share a few interesting facts about McDonald's to kind of break this up a little bit. So if you want to pop that next slide there. So there's some things you may or may not know about McDonald's, but I think it's always important because you see them on the street corner, but you wonder about them. So remember, it started with one in 1955. So these would be the real facts for those of you who have seen The Founder. Um, Over 37, almost 37,000 locations, 100 million people served daily. I hate to read from slides, but you can see that next slide when I got in McDonald's 30 years ago McDonald's was claim to fame was it was larger than the next four competitors combined and it's about the same way today it's just different competitors have changed but 124 billion dollar market cap listed on the on the Dow Jones industrial uh, next slide so these are kind of how things are, the owner, ownership types of restaurants. This is as of twelve thirty one sixteen 16, conventionally franchised. So this is United States and around the world. McCopco is the company-owned restaurants around the world, developed, licensed. Those are where they do, like uh, countries go in and countries will do them with those folks. The joint ventures are really what most people don't know and like in uh, Turkey and Jordan, The partnership with McDonald's, there's a 50-50 partnership. Their partner, McDonald's partner, is usually the king or the emir or somebody like that in that country. It's a son or daughter of them because they're the only ones that will allow a Western country, a company to come in and do business with them. So that's their partners. Uh, Next slide. Uh, System-wide sales, 85 billion. About 75 billion done by the franchise restaurants, 10 billion by the corporate restaurants. Uh, Next slide. So these are different structures, you can keep going through there. And different structures, keep going through there. Let's keep going. Way you gri- drive sales, same as any business. This may be a slide regardless of what business you're in. Uh, next slide. I'm going to stop on that Tulsa one. It's hard to read, but uh, this is one at 80 restaurants in Tulsa, average volume of $3 million per restaurant. So when you see that store manager in there, the person, usually got a high school diploma or... Running a three million dollar restaurant, five hundred thousand transactions per year. Each transaction is about one and a half customers, so it's about seven hundred and fifty thousand individuals come through that restaurant per year. Um, we have a payroll of about sixty five million in the Tulsa market. So anyway, let's go to the next slide. Where we are here? And the last thing here, this one thing you might know if you're ever traveling. Big Mac Index is how you check the parity of. Uh, currencies across the globe. That guy on the right there is a dear friend of mine that passed away about 2015. He was 99, almost 100 years old, and worked in his restaurants every day at 44 restaurants in Birmingham, Alabama. He's the guy who created the Big Mac. So there's your stories for the day. So I'm going to get down here and just talk to you a little bit about what you are. With so many people out of work today, it saddens me to see the loss of hope in the American dream. And friends, for you today, what you do in creating jobs is critical to the journey of restoring the life, liberty, and the right of owning property in this country. You know, rights given to us, and Almighty God, if you go knock off the dust of your civics book and you read about that, they were all given to us by God, not by a government. If you look at the numbers today, we have 325 million Americans in this country. 163 million are receiving some kind of check for the government, over half a Americans. A national debt that's fast approaching $20 will be there probably in the next 20 or 30 days. Over $62,000 per citizen owes debt right now. We have almost 100 million folks out of the workforce of that $325 million. And getting it free is not the way. 2008 we gave $17 billion out in food stamps. Today we're giving out $71 billion in food stamps. So why it may be better for us as individually, as a country we're in dire shape. And if here's the one that really hits home for you: since 2000, when you adjust wages for inflation these are government numbers, by the way when you adjust wages since 2000 till now, the real increase in salary is about 1,100 dollars. That's in 17 years. Yet, houses during that same time have gone from an average price of about 160 to about 310. You think about all the different things that have gone up. So you wonder why people are upset with us. You know, we as job creators have so much to do to recharge our course before it's too late. Jobs are the savior for our country, our economy restore our hope. Jobs save families. Jobs make people tired so people don't have time to commit crimes. The sheriff the sheriff I don't know if he heard that one, but they need a job, sheriff. Jobs restore self-dignity. And jobs help get people off of government assistance. I was talking to a business leader this morning, Broken Arrow. He said to me, he said, and here's what jobs do. They give citizens skin in the game. I thought that was a pretty layperson way to say it, but they get skin in the game. I want you to remember something. James 4.17 says, it is a sin to know what to do and not to do it. And you need to think about that. You know, you'll never truly be a leader until you help others. And it's about being a leader. Anyone can be a follower. I want to leave you with this thought. God sent this to me yesterday. You cannot see the peak from the valley, but from the peak you can see the full extent of the valley. It is after struggles to climb out of the valleys, out of the low points in life, that we can deeply appreciate the peaks, the beauty of the blessings of God. All of my success has happened after I received Christ as my Lord and Savior. I pray that God is pleased with how he's used a small petite woman to get the attention of a person who thought he knew everything. I work hard every day to keep my priorities straight of God, family, and work in the proper order. As I have told so many over the years, one day I'll be in heaven because my wife had the God-given courage to challenge me on my salvation. I love baseball. My kids play baseball. And the great yoga Berra quote, you come to a fork in the road, you take it. <laughs> if life was only that simple that we could take all the forks in the road, but we can't. Life is very linear. Not many, if any, mulligans. Life is about choices. So when you get to the fork in the road, You have to choose a direction based on your wisdom, your experience, and the condition of your heart. Choose wisely, or you might lose everything. But you'll never go wrong if you love the Lord with all your soul, you love your family with all your heart, and achieve success in your work so that you can help others. Thank you.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this month's message. If you live in the Tulsa area, be sure to join us next month for a free lunch and another great speaker. We meet on the second Monday of every month at Tiamo's at 61st and Sheridan at 1140 a.m. For more information about the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, visit www.ybtok.com. At the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, we are building leaders for a lifetime.